Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. It's a joy to see God uh, work in your midst here in Stillwater. Send greetings uh, to you from the Oklahoma City Church. Uh, we're always uh, quick to remember you in our prayers, and uh, it's a joy to, to worship with you this morning. The, uh, one of the sermon um, series I'm working through in Oklahoma City is uh, the book of Acts, and uh, recently found ourselves in Acts uh, 14. Uh, Acts 14 uh, describes Paul's first missionary journey. As Paul has gone through this uh, missionary journey, he's encountered a lot of distress and tribulation. Right before the words of our text, Paul has just been nearly stoned to death. He was dragged out of the city and, and left, as it were, for dead. Yet here in our text, we find Paul returning to the churches he's planted in order that he himself, a man who's just been beaten to death, can go and encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning from our text from Acts 14 to encourage you to remain steadfast in your faith amid the many tribulations that we endure as the people of God. So let's hear God's word this morning from the book of Acts, which you'll find and on page 1272 of your uh, uh, Bibles. Let's hear God's word from, from Acts 14. Verses 21 through 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. As I was just saying, Paul and Barnabas, when they had finished their missionary journey, they had, they had preached in all the cities that they had intended to, when they had finished their missionary journey, they did not just set their eyes on home. They did not just set their eyes to go home to Antioch and rest there. No, instead, they set their eyes to go back through all the cities that they had preached in and established churches in, they did this so that they might strengthen them, so that they could encourage them, so they could check and see how they were doing, if they were continuing to, to grow in the first things of the gospel of Christ. They said they did this right after, shortly after Paul had been stoned to death. Paul and Barnabas knew that the people of God needed to be strengthened. I'm confident that you need similar strengthening this morning. I don't know the ins and outs of your life. Uh, a visiting pastor, I know, uh, know the needs of my own congregation much more intimately. I, I don't know the ins and outs of your life, and yet... I know that many of you are likely going through trials and difficulties. I know this because the, the Christian life is indeed 
a life of difficulty. Most all of you have gone through or are going through or will go through suffering to one degree or another, and such suffering can cause discouragement. Sometimes left asking that question, why? Why do I have to suffer this trial? What does it mean? We all need strengthening. And our sermon text is a passage that, that should strengthen us. Christ has built his church and is, is building his church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Just like a foundation strengthens the, the rest of the house, so this divinely inspired instruction of the apostles is, is to strengthen us this morning. And it strengthens us by reminding us that we must, through many tribulations, Enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? I want us to consider three, uh, three points in our sermon text this morning. And first, to be strengthened, we must understand the reality of tribulations. We must understand the reality of tribulations. A, a well-prepared soldier will understand the reality of warfare before he goes onto the battlefield. Many idealistic young men went to the trenches of World War I thinking they understood warfare. They thought they were going to win fame for themselves. They thought they were going to fight for king and country. They thought they were going to uh, win the battle quickly and, and return home in time for Christmas. Many of them were desperately wrong. They did not understand the reality of war. Many of them died shortly after arriving on the continent. Others would survive, but they would go home horribly maimed in either uh, body or in their minds. You are to be well equipped for the Christian life. You must understand the reality of tribulation in this world. First off, there is no but, if, or maybe of trials in the Christian life. It is a certainty that the disciple of Christ will suffer. This is the reality. It strikes me how matter-of-fact this is said in our text. There, there is no expl explanation. There, there is no nuance here. There are simply the words, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. The tribulations of this life can take many different forms. The difficulties we have are as varied as our personalities. There are sufferings that are common to believers and unbelievers alike. Then there's also suffering that is only known by believers. There are natural sufferings we might endure. Sufferings that come about because of living in a fallen world. And think here of things like hail, hurricanes, tornadoes, and, and fires. There are physical sufferings we can endure. These physical sufferings more directly affect our own physical bodies and include things like sickness, chronic pain, cancer, deafness, miscarriages, and even death itself we can put under this category. And there are going to be what I'm going to call mental sufferings. 
even though I recognize that there are, are multiple facets here to, to a mental suffering. There are, there are spiritual and physical causes to these problems. Mental sufferings can include things like depression, anxiety, fear, loneliness. Another category of suffering is alien suffering. And I, I don't mean here suffering caused by uh, little green men that are coming out of spaceships. But instead, I'm referring here to, to suffering caused by other people. I think here of rape, theft, murder, and even persecution. And there's also self-suffering. Suffering that's the result of our own actions, whether those are sinful or righteous actions. I think here of the suffering David brought into his life by murdering Uriah and committing adultery with Bathsheba. David brought years of conflict and, to, and affliction into his family because of his sins. I think uh, also of the, on the other side of it, of, of the suffering that, that Paul endured because of his bold proclamation of the gospel. These are just some of the sufferings we can all endure in this life. And I don't provide this list to discourage you about all the ways you can suffer. Rather, I provide this list so that you understand the reality. Understand the reality of suffering. So that your eyes are open to the wide breadth of of suffering we can endure in this life. These are the tribulations that have afflicted the people of this human race since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. While almost every single human being can suffer in, in these myriad of ways, there's something very unique about the suffering of Christians. You might realize that while most people try to avoid suffering, Christians should expect suffering. It doesn't mean we, we try to find ways to suffer, than, suffer more than most people. Quite, quite the opposite, actually. Paul encourages us to pray for rulers so that we can live quiet and, and peaceable lives. We don't go actively looking for suffering. We don't go actively looking for ways to make our lives more miserable. We still expect this life to be difficult. It's like uh, maybe doing a project around the home. You, you hope it's going to be easy. You have certain expectations that I'm going to get this project done in, in three hours with one trip to Lowe's and... Ten hours later, you've gone done five trips to Lowe's, and you're still not completed uh, what you were hoping to. Christians aren't to be looking for the easy life because they should know that the easy life isn't the reality for them. This is where our text should hit us hard. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Well, Christian expects suffering. But the suffering of Christians is also distinct in that believers tend to, to suffer more than unbelievers. 
You know, from many of the Psalms that God often allows the unbeliever to have a peaceful and prosperous life. On the other hand, the life of the believer is one of hardship and difficulty. It's this difference that caused Asaph to, to say in Psalm 73, which we've been singing, Asaph says there, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Asaph is wrestling with, why do the wicked have it so easy? The wicked who, who have no interest in God. Yet, the believer, the one who cleanses his heart, the one who, who seeks to live in conformity to God's word, his difficulty after difficulty afflict his life. You might think here of certain examples. You might think here of the believing couple who longs for children and yet struggles with fertility. And then the unbelieving family who, who, who has no trouble getting pregnant, but then go and murder their unborn child. Does that make sense in this world? We can think of the believer who, who deeply loves God, yet his wife and child die from cancer. Then on the other hand, you have, have the unbeliever who, who hates God. He lives a long and happy life with his wife and children. Part of the reality of tribulation, especially tribulation for the believer, is that they provoke perplexing questions about faith and life. Suffering of the believer can cause doubts. It can make you question your faith, whether you are following the true religion. After all, if, if unbelievers have it so good, how about all the promises of Scripture? Is God's word really true? If unbelievers have it so good so often, why make my life harder by being a Christian? Suffering can bring about doubts and questions. Suffering can also make you discontent. You might find yourself asking, why do other people have it easier? Why does that ch family's children all believe in God? Why do they have it so easy? Suffering can make us discontent. It can also make us question the goodness of God. After all, the age-old question is, if God is good, why is there suffering in this life? Suffering can even make you doubt your own salvation. You're asking yourself, if God is doing this to me, am I truly a believer? Suffering produces all sorts of questions. Suffering can make you waver in your faith. This is the reality of suffering in this life. And, but in doing so, suffering hammers home the importance of what Paul and Barnabas did at the end of their missionary journey. It hammers home the importance of, of, of strengthening the disciples by reminding them that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. This is... Reality. 
I also want to drive home to you the normalcy of tribulations in the Christian life. We've seen the reality. Now let's look at the normalcy of tribulations. And this is part of us being strengthened as well. If we understand something to be normal, it gives us a certain level of comfort. If we're going through suffering, we're not alone. There isn't something special or unique about us. You don't think suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. When it does happen, you might be left wondering, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with the church that it has to go through suffering? But notice what Paul says in our text. He says, we must through many, many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't say you will have to endure Few tribulations. He does not say you will have one trying event in your life. No, clearly he says, he says you must through many, multiple, plural tribulations enter the kingdom of God. This is normal. And yet this is perhaps one of the forgotten truths in Christianity, especially in American Christianity. God in truth is that there is normalcy to tribulation. I think it's forgotten in part because of the cultural air we breathe. Most all of you here are average middle class Americans. While money might be tight at times, while you might need to find a new job at times, it might be jobless. In general, you have almost all your needs met. If you've ever been hungry, it's often because you didn't take the time to eat or you're, you're purposely fasting. It's not because you, you lacked resources. In fact, as you've breathed the cultural air of middle-class America, you've likely grown to expect a certain lifestyle. Expect to have a nice home, a decent car, money and time for vacation. You expect law enforcement to do its job. You expect a healthcare system to make you better. You expect a life of relative ease. You expect a happy, successful, easy, and prosperous life. And none of that is necessarily wrong in and of itself. Ecclesiastes reminds us that we are to indeed enjoy the fruit of our labors. We are to eat our bread with joy and drink our wine with a merry heart and rejoice in the wife of our youth. Yet, what often happens is that that expectation often turns into a demand. We demand that we are given the American dream. We demand the nice house, the nice car, the easy life. When we don't get that, when that American dream gets threatened, we often get angry at others or at God. We, we lapse into self-pity feeling sorry for ourselves. We, we cry out in discontent with what we have. We become envious of the prosperity of others. We ask, why, do, why does my life have to be so difficult? I deserve better. 
And with that response, I fear that many of us have forgotten what Scripture says. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Normalcy for the Christian life is not peace and prosperity. Rather, it is difficulty. It is affliction. This is what you signed up for when you made a profession of faith or got baptized. You signed up for a life of hardship. Our passage here is diametrically opposed to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We often like to poke fun of the Benny Hens, the Joel Osteens, the Kenneth Copelands of this day, but when tribulation strikes us, we are often left shocked and dismayed, even shaken in our faith that God would dare allow something to happen to me. We ask, why? What did I do to deserve this particular affliction? Don't I deserve better, God? Often this is because we have a little prosperity preacher in each of our hearts that says, you do good and are a decent person. So therefore, God owes you an easy life. You might cognitively expect tribulation. We know that Scripture speaks of tribulation, but we expect it often for everybody else. We don't expect it for ourselves. Paul hammers home in our text that tribulation is normal. Paul's message to these young believers, Paul's message to to these, these fledgling church plants is no different than the message of Christ himself. Christ told us in his earthly ministry that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, Jesus said that if anybody wants to be my disciple, he must go and take up that instrument of torture on his back and be prepared to suffer for the sake of Christ. John 15, 20, Christ told his disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Suffering is normal for the Christian. So if you are going through tribulation this morning, know that this isn't something unusual happening in your life. Not be fearful or afraid when the church, as, as a corporate body, goes through hardship. This is normal. Oh, uh, Pastor Bruce has preached through First uh, Peter uh, recently, and this is the encouragement Peter gives in First Peter 3, 12-13. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Peter directly says there, don't think it's strange. Don't, don't think it's unusual. Don't think there's, there's something special about you that you're having to go through hardship. 
recognize that this is part of the Christian life. Instead of thinking it's strange, rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in them. And that's an exceedingly hard calling. You go from, okay, yes, and I can acknowledge that suffering is the reality. I can even acknowledge that suffering is normal. But to rejoice in them? How can I do that? How can I, in the face of, of awful sickness, of awful, awful bodily pain, awful relationships with others of disunity, how can I go through that with joy? Now that's what Scripture calls us to again and again. Not just the words of Peter. We find it in James, where, where James tells us to count it all joy when we go through various trials. How can we do that? To understand that when Scripture calls us to this kind of joy, this isn't just a message of, of the power of positivity. That, oh, put a smile on your face and you'll be able to just go about your day and, and you know, th- things, will, things, will, things will eventually get better. This isn't just some message to, to be happy. Oh, this is a calling to believe in the necessity of tribulations for the Christian life. Notice again the words of our text. We must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. This isn't a maybe. This is one of those must passages of Scripture. Just as there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, so we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It is necessary. This is the training program, as it were, for for our sanctification and growth and grace. This is the school God has designed to bring his people home. This suddenly changes our perspective. Someone who's preparing for to become a Navy SEAL. He will have a certain eagerness to, to go through all the very strict training and, and the horrible suffering that his body's put through. He'll have a certain eagerness and joy about that because he understands the end of it. He understands that at the end of it, he'll, he'll be able to, to have that distinguishing mark that I am a Navy SEAL. Similarly, we as God's people... And have joy as we go through the tribulations of this life because we recognize at the end of that, welcomed into the kingdom of God and the glories of heaven. So if you desire everlasting life, if you desire the celestial city, if you desire the glories of heaven, you must go through many tribulations. This is a partial answer as to the why of suffering for the Christian. Why is there suffering for and in the Christian life? It is because this is the road God has paved for glory. 
Jesus says, the way is narrow. This is the road to our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. As Paul says in, in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Suffering, Paul says, is gain. The suffering of death is gain for the Christian because in dying, he gets more of Christ. And in suffering, the believer grows to experientially understand more of the love of Christ for him. Christ suffered for our sins. He willingly suffered to grant us salvation. And in suffering, we get more of Christ because we experience aspects of the love of Christ for us. That's what Peter means when he says, we partake of the sufferings of Christ. This is Christ suffered for my sins. I suffer in this life. I'm getting a sense, a a deeper, more experiential sense of of what it means that Christ suffered for my sins. I'm understanding more of the love of Christ for me. It is the lot of believers to suffer in this life of 70 or so years. It's the lot of unbelievers to enjoy this life of 70 or so years. But believers look for and are surely promised an eternity of joy and delight in the presence of God. Abraham lived as a pilgrim and stranger his entire life. And he did so looking for the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Believers look forward to glory, but unbelievers... They do have the privilege of enjoying the pleasures of this world are destined for an eternity of suffering. This is no more clearly taught than in the parable of the rich man in Lazarus, where we read Abraham say to the rich man, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Suffering is necessary. It is a must because this is the path by which God brings his people to their eternal home. Just as Israel had to wander through the wilderness, the suffering of the wilderness to get to Canaan. God's people must wander the wilderness of this life. But here we also need to be very careful in in understanding the character of God. God is not some maniacal sadist who enjoys making people suffer. You often hear that from the unbeliever who is angry at God for, for some suffering they're having to endure. Yet this is not the character of God. There's a reason that God reveals himself as our heavenly father. He, like our earthly fathers, who who patiently but purposefully teach their children, teaches us through the tribulations of this life. And Grace, Grace is my wife, uh, 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 when we did sleep training for our son Micah, our pediatrician said this would be the first difficult challenge for our son, but he said it was a necessary challenge for him. He, the pediatrician described this as, as Micah's first real test. 
It was an opportunity for him to grow. Oh, when we were asleep trained Micah, we would put him to bed at night. And we wouldn't come and get him anymore until, until he woke up in the morning. That was hard for Micah. He, he would scream and cry, and especially early on, he might, might scream and cry for an hour. And it was hard enough as his parents as well. But over a couple days of doing that, he started learning how, how to sleep through the night without any tears, without any crying. Micah probably didn't understand, most certainly didn't understand why we were doing that. He didn't understand why he was having to, to go through this suffering. However, over, over a short period, a, relatively a few days, he learned something that would serve him well for the rest of his life. He learned how to sleep through the nights. Similarly, we may not know why God is bringing us through a particular tribulation. We do not understand why we have to deal with job difficulties, financial hardships, illness. But is the heart of faith a trust that God has his purpose for bringing us these things? The heart of faith knows the loving character of God, that he is good, merciful, and gracious. The heart of faith looks to the love of God shown in Christ. That Christ himself had to go through immense suffering to procure salvation for us. God didn't just forgive our sins, but a hard path had to be followed. The heart of faith trusts that no matter what the situation, no matter the valley of the shadow of death, God will see us through it. And God isn't just uh, putting us in suffering because he likes to see his people suffer. The heart of faith trusts with the unquestioning faith of a child. The heart of faith trusts the character of God. That God intends this for our good and for our growth. So often when we are going through difficulty, we would put ourselves in the position of God. Say, well, I was God. I would do things this way. Surely God's made a mistake here. This is what we see Job wrestle with throughout the book. He's wrestling with, why would God do this to me? Then, after Job's wrestling with that, at the end of the book, he answers the Lord with these simple words. He says to God, I know you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job, at the end of all his suffering, at the end of all his questioning, trust in the character of God. He recognizes that he is but a mortal man. But as God is gracious and, and merciful, as God is sovereign and uses these things in his life for his growth. 
going through tribulation is a reminder to us that we are indeed children of God. It's often a cruel trick of Satan that he will often use suffering to bring doubt into the sincere child of God. But tribulation should be a reminder and even seal to us that we are children of God. Sometimes tribulation brings, sometimes God brings tribulation into our life to, to, yes, chastise us for our sins. He teaches us through the rod of discipline that our sin is to be despised. That we have great need to grow in our sanctification. So God brings that rod of discipline into our lives to, to bring us closer to him. As to remind us, yes, to, to hate our sins, but also to remind us, you are an adopted son of God. And that God chastens those he loves. An unloving parent does not chasten his child. A loving parent puts rules and, and, and consequences into the child's life. We read in Hebrews 12, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Notice what Paul is saying there in Hebrews. He's saying, once again, expect suffering. If you are loved of God, expect chastening. This is the mark of divine parental love. Certainly, sometimes that divine discipline must be very severe. Just consider what David had to go through as a consequence of his sin. Affliction and turmoil in his house. His own sons turning against him, seeking to kill him. His own sons committing adultery with, with, with his mom. At the end of that, God told David. Well, no, God told David before that. Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Awful tribulation there was there and yet this wasn't God being cruel or vindictive this was God lovingly administering hard but necessary discipline into David's life it would have actually been more terrifying for David if, if God had not brought discipline into his life but instead just allowed him to continue in his sin Testament of God's love for us is indeed the difficulties that we endure in this life. And we need that heart of faith to see the character of God amid that. Now God doesn't just send trials to chasten us for sin, but he also sends trials to test the strength of our faith. A good teacher will, will give his students a test to make sure they know the material. And similarly, God administers tests in our lives to help us learn and understand his character, to, to be more confident that, oh, yes, God is good, and God is gracious, and, and God is, is powerful to get me through this trial. We can understand that in, in an abstract theological sense, but it's trials that, that cement that into our minds. What God did with Abraham when he called him to offer up his only son Isaac. It was a test to see if 
Abraham had moved beyond his reliance upon himself to bring about the promises. Remember that Abraham was constantly trying to, 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 in his own strength, bring about the promises of God. When he didn't see God doing that, he, he would go and use his own means. He, he had a son through Hagar, rather than waiting upon God's timing. But God, God calls Abraham to offer up his only son Isaac. God wants to test Abraham to see if he has learned to trust in him. As you go through trials, as you grow through necessary trials, your faith must be deeply grounded in the loving character of God. You must believe that God will not break the bruised reed and will not quench the smoking flax. We understand the character of God. We will have confidence that the Lord is, will indeed bring us through this. This, once again, is the grounding that Job had. Job knew the character of his God as he suffered. He would not abandon hope in him. He would not curse him, though everyone else did. Instead, with confidence, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. See the necessity of trials for our life. Trust in the character of God. Church, you must go through many tribulations. You must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I wish I could be up here and promise you that you would have that, that easy life. That you would have all your prayers answered. That you could have everything your heart could possibly desire. That you would have peace and harmony in your families. That you would have the best jobs. That you would have all your earthly needs met. Yet, I cannot do that. That's not what Scripture says. But I can promise you something far better than all that. I can promise you that as you suffer... Come to know more and more of the love of Jesus Christ. I can promise you the Lord Jesus Christ. I can promise you his perfect and unconditional love. I promise you not an easy life, but an everlasting life in the glories of heaven. The path to glory is the path of tribulations, for we must, through many tribulations, enter kingdom of God, and yet if you trust in Christ, be able to say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 through 9, here Paul said, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul said that, believing and trusting in his Lord Savior amid tribulations. Will you trust in Christ this day? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, we go through many difficulties in this life. There are many things we suffer as your people. 
Lord, sometimes it feels as though we are almost completely destroyed. Sometimes it feels as, as though we are destroyed. Lord, it's easy for us to get so discouraged as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through this life that is filled with so much sorrow and tears. Dear Father, we pray that you would help us to look with eyes of faith, that, we, Lord, we would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know your love for your people, that we would know the love that is for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, we would know that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, as we go through tribulation, we pray that you would be sustaining us, that you would be strengthening us by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in our psalm books and sing Psalm 73, the sea selection. This is the conclusion to Psalm 73. We've uh, sun through the various parts of it, uh, opening part of, of Asaph's uh, uh, complexing question, why do believers have to suffer? And he comes to this beautiful conclusion that he finds himself in God. Yet constantly I am with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. Your counsel shows me what to do and guides me in the things I plan. And afterwards, so shall it be, you will, with honor, welcome me. He sees with the eyes of faith the love of his God. That even though he's going through difficulty, yet one day he will be in the presence of his God, and his God will welcome him. Let's stand and sing Psalm 73, the sea select.